everybody. Welcome to church today. My name is Nathan, and I get to uh, pastor our campus down in Missouri City, but I love being here at Richmond with you guys, especially as uh, we kick off part two, uh, or we continue with part two of our series on David that Patrick started last week. I want to say hi to all my friends down in Mo City. I'm sorry I'm not there with you guys today, but make sure you stick around and uh, get to know T if you're new today. He's a great guy. He'll take you to lunch even if you, uh, if you ask him to do that. Uh, and also at West End, Patrick Kelly is there in the flesh, and uh, he would love nothing more than to, uh, to hang out with you after the service today and uh, take you out to coffee sometime this week. So make sure and say hi to Patrick and Lisa down there if you are at West End. Take advantage of that. Also, if you're watching online today, I'm so glad you guys can be with us. It's been rainy off and on, so maybe you're in a better shape than we are. But uh, we are super excited to be here in part two of David. Last week was so amazing. David is one of those guys that I feel like we could spend the entire year talking about his life, right? You look at different scenes in his life, and sometimes you look at his life and you go, my life's not all that bad, you know? And other times you look at his life and you're so encouraged and inspired and wishing that you had his kind of faith or his kind of strength or his kind of heart. And, uh, and so we're at part two. Last week, Patrick kind of introduced us to where the Bible introduces us to David, and that's in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16. And Samuel was kind of a, a religious leader of the Israelites at the time, and he had already anointed the first king of Israel ever, which is a man named Saul. But as Saul's reign was coming to an end, and as David, or excuse me, as God had said that there'd be another king that would follow Saul, but not necessarily in his family line, Samuel went looking for that next king. And so last week, Patrick told us the story of how Samuel went to a house with a man named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons, and after kind of parading all of his older sons and uh, his better looking, more equipped, uh, maybe more successful or accomplished sons, uh, ultimately Samuel decided on his youngest son, who is David. David wasn't even in the house at the time. He was out tending the sheep because he was the shepherd, and those were his responsibilities for the family. It was an amazing story, and if you did not see last week's sermon, I I strongly encourage you to hop on YouTube or the Riverpoint website and go back and watch it. Uh, it was hilarious. I mean, Patrick was like literally on his game, and he said a lot of stuff about the show The Bachelor. So um, if you're fans of The Bachelor, here's what I said. He doesn't like The Bachelor, but I promise you he watches because he knows a lot about The Bachelor based on what I saw last week. All right? I might be fired tomorrow. But anyways... Um, it's one of those things where it was just a great time. And that sets us up today for me to talk about a story that is so well known that regardless of whether you've ever been to church, like this is maybe your first Sunday in church or your first Sunday to ever log on and watch church online. If you've never opened a Bible, I promise you, you've heard the story we're going to talk about today because it's the story of David and Goliath. It's used everywhere. It's used in sports. Every time a team that is highly favored is in a competition against a team that seemingly has no chance. And and then somehow, some way, they pull off an upset and people reference David and Goliath. It's used in literature. It's used in politics. It's used everywhere that seemingly one person or one team has all the advantages. It pits itself against somebody who has none of those advantages, seemingly is going to be a pushover, and somehow, some way, finds a chance and a way to come out on top. And so oftentimes we feel like we might know a story like David and Goliath. It's simply an underdog story. And we put ourselves into the role of David and whoever our competition is, whoever that mean person in our life is, whatever that obstacle is in our way, that's Goliath. And it's our job to face our giants and move forward. Hoorah, 
right? I mean, like that's, that's typically what we boil David and Goliath down to. But I think we might miss out on the practicality and the relevance and just how helpful this story can be in our lives if we dig in just a little deeper. So today I'm going to invite you to read the story with me fresh for like the first time ever. We're going to read through the entire story. And yes, I'm going to read fast. My mom was a kindergarten teacher, so I learned how to do this. But we're going to read the whole story, and I want to point out things along the way. And then I want to ask you three questions at the end that I think will help really drive this home. The story of David and Goliath is more than just an underdog story, but a story that can really help you out and transform your life if you're willing to allow it to do that. So let's start by turning in our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's going to be up here on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you. But if you do have one, I strongly encourage you to bring it out because I'm going to tell you a highlight a couple verses that you can probably come back at a later time and look at. Just to set this up, Saul is the king of the nation of Israel, and the Israelites were constantly battling against their neighbors. They'd battle, they'd, they'd battle against the Babylonians and the Amalekites and others, but one of their longstanding beefs was with a neighboring country uh, named the Philistines. And the Philistines and the Israelites, they would battle it out. Their feud goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. It's told all the way through the book of Judges and all sorts of stuff. Even earlier in 1 Samuel, you see the Israelites and the Philistines fighting it out. Well, we come to another fight, and they're lined up at the Valley of Elah, and they're getting ready to fight. And that sets the stage for what we're going to read today. So 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 3. Here we go. It says, The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So let's get the picture. you got the Israelite army on one side. you got the Philistine army on the other side. There's a valley in the middle, and ultimately, they're going to probably meet in the middle and duke it out. And they would fight over all sorts of things. Typically, they were fighting over, like, uh, land. They were fighting over kind of the borders where maybe more resources were, where they would have access to the sea, whatever it might have been. The scripture doesn't actually tell us what they were fighting about this time. Just know that they were fighting all the time about something. And so that's where we stand when Goliath the giant makes his entrance. That's what we read here in verse 4. There came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. So Goliath is an imposing dude, right? We, we, we read these things, cubits and shekels, and just kind of break that down for you. Depending on uh, how accurate some of our, our translation is from old school measurement to, to new school, Goliath was anywhere between 7 feet and 9 feet tall. Some people estimate he might have been 11 feet tall. And the truth is is that there were other records of kind of giants in the area at that time. And so I believe uh, Goliath was a giant imposing man. He was also imposing because when we talk about shekels and we kind of relate that to pounds, just his coat of armor alone weighed over 125 pounds. And so he's wearing that. It talked about the tip of his spear. That was 15 pounds. Now, I've got to admit something to you. I tried to do a kettlebell swing with a 15-pound kettlebell a few weeks ago, and that was tough enough. I can't imagine trying to throw a spear with a 15-pound kettlebell on the end of it. You know what I mean? Like, it'd be completely pointless for me. But Goliath was so big that that's what he wore, and that's what he carried into battle. An imposing man, to say the least. The story continues. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man from yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. 
When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So what we see is that Goliath kind of sets the rules of engagement. And again, if you kind of dig and do a little historical uh, research, what you'll find is that this like one person versus one, one soldier versus one soldier way of duking it out wasn't that uncommon at the time. Depending over what the armies were fighting over, oftentimes the generals would almost say, listen, we're fighting over this, but it's not worth losing a lot of these men in some bloody fight. And so why don't we just send like our best and they can send their best. And if we win, then we win this fight and we get that land. Or if they win, then we retreat and they kind of take over or whatever. You read about it in Egyptian history. You read about it in Greek history. Literature from this time kind of talks about this, how sometimes a champion or a dueler from one side would come and fight the other. And they would almost fight as representatives for the side that they were on. And so that's what Goliath was proposing. And you saw there at the end that Saul, as the king and the leader of this army, was afraid and greatly dismayed. Now, I want to fast forward a little bit in the story because the next few verses introduce us again to David. And, of course, we met David last week. He's the son of Jesse, the youngest of eight sons. And what the scripture tells us here is that the three oldest boys, who are Eliab, Abinadab, and Shema, were all soldiers in the army. Okay? And one of the things David had to do is his responsibility was still to his father as a shepherd, but also to Saul at this time, which he had become kind of an armor bearer and a musician in Saul's court at this time, is that he was kind of feeling a tension and a tug between two places. In fact, he would have to go back and forth from his home in Bethlehem to wherever Saul was, if that was in the capital city or if that was in a particular mountain on the side of a valley where he was in in battle with somebody else. And so David was going back and forth. And one of the things that he had to do when he would go from his father's house to where Saul was is that he would take uh, supplies with him, enough food for his brothers to eat, maybe supplies for them to fight battle with, different things like that. And when he would come back from where his brothers were, he would report back to his dad on how his brothers were doing. So he would give them kind of a proof of life. He was like, Dad, they're still doing great. Nope, nothing's happening. They're fighting. This has been going on for some time. In fact, one of the verses tells us how long it had been going on. It's this verse right here. It says, for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. I find this verse fascinating because if nothing else, it tells us that for 40 days, Saul and the entire army of Israel had every opportunity to step forward and fight Goliath. All of the soldiers in the army had the same opportunity. Any one of them could have raised their hand and said, hey, enough with this. You know, he's coming out, he's giving us ridicule, he's taunting us, he's throwing it in our face, he's defying our God, I'm gonna fight him and get this done with, and maybe I die, but I'm just tired of this. But none of them took him up on the offer. And so one of these days when David was taking things to his brothers, we see what happens as we continue reading here in 1 Samuel. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning. He left his sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. Here they are. It's been 40 days and they're finally about to duke it out. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers to check on them, of course. And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. Now, I don't know exactly what Goliath's saying. The exact, I mean, if he's repeating what we read before, I just kind of just, in my mind, it's like, fee, fi, fo, fum. 
I smell the blood of an Israelite man or something, you know? I mean, something like that. But he's saying it every morning, every night, and everybody just sitting there standing there going, you wanna do it? You wanna do it? Not me. You know, that's kind of where they're at. And finally, David's there on a morning when Goliath says this, and for the first time, David hears him as we continue to read. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, and this is, where, this is where kind of rumors get to start, right? Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king, this is what they're telling each other. The king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. It goes on to say, and David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Let's stop there for a second. So David's there and there's kind of this buzz going through the crowd of the army, right? They're like, have you heard what Saul is promising if just one of us will go out and fight Goliath? Like he's gonna make us rich. You know that really pretty daughter he has? We get to marry her. And our family gets to live for free. If you read another version, it says tax-free. I mean, how many of us in tax season are ready to go fight a giant if we can live tax-free for the rest of our lives? Right? You're signing up. I would sign up. Right? And so that's what David's hearing. And you can just imagine how the rumors spread and it gets a little bigger. Oh, yeah, he's going to give us this and this and this. And David's hearing all of this. And David's first response is, what did you you say Saul's going to give? And if you stop the story right there, you might feel as though David was motivated by the reward that he would get from the king. But the very next question, which is the verse that I really want you to highlight, really gives us some insight into the perspective of David's mind and his heart. Because look what he says. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who does this guy think he is? This guy thinks he can defy the armies of the living God? And what this shows us is that David had a commitment to God so deep and so real that he was offended by somebody coming at him with a challenge and saying that he would be successful or he would be, um, that he would win in any way against people of the living God. It's an amazing thing that shows us the heart of David. You can understand now why Samuel went through all of the sons of Jesse to arrive on David as the future king of Israel. It's this perspective, it's this heart that God wanted to use to overcome the giant. As we keep reading in verse 27, now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. So older brother's hearing this going on with his younger brother. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. He's probably still mad about getting passed over for king, right? But now his younger brother's there. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wood? Those few sheep. I can hear them. They're calling for you. Shouldn't you go home? Like, shouldn't you be tending the sheep and leave the soldiers to do what we were trained to do? Are you, can you just hear this? Anybody ever been on like a family vacation? You hear your kids fighting, right? And you, you're about to hear it. It's gonna keep going, right? Who have you left a few sheep with? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart for you have come down to see the battle. And this is what the younger sibling says every time. Tell me if I'm lying. And David said, what have I done now? It was just a word. Like, what have I done? Am I that annoying? You know, and the older brother's like, yes, you are that annoying. And I love this part of the story that we seemingly never tell because it just shows us of the humanity of the people that God is using and the dynamic of David being a younger brother. It continues on and says, and he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way and the people answered him again as before. What I like about this particular part of the story is I wonder if you can identify with David in this, not just being a younger brother, 
But I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a situation or a position where you feel like God is calling you into something, that God has opened a door and he's encouraging you to walk through, right? And so what do you do? You share that with somebody close to you. Right? You're excited. Maybe you're a little bit nervous. You're not sure if you have the courage to do it. And so you go to somebody and it's like, I think this is what God wants me to do. What do you think? And your older brother's like, nah, I think you should go back to doing what you were doing. I mean, how discouraging is it when we feel like God may be leading us to do something and somebody so close to us, someone that we trust, someone that we're counting on for support, not only doesn't encourage us and support us, but may go as far to question our motives in doing it. And I wonder if you don't identify with David, if maybe, maybe just maybe you identify with Eliab. Maybe there's a situation you can look back on, and maybe there's a situation right now where for a long period of time an opportunity is sat right in front of you and you've just sat back and haven't done anything about it. For 40 days, you've seen that job posting and you haven't clicked apply. For 40 days, you know that position at your work has been open and you haven't worked up the courage to go into your boss's office and say, hey, you think I could do that thing? I know you're looking for somebody. Only to find the new guy coming and like, oh, that's an open position. I'm gonna apply for it. And then you look back and go, who does this guy think he is? Right? And you resent him, but it's not really him that you're resenting. It's, it's your own cowardice that you resent. And I wonder if maybe we take David and Goliath out of situation, if this story today is about you identifying with Eliab and asking yourself, have I waited too long to walk into an opportunity? Or have I ever been discouraging, questioned someone's motives, someone who genuinely felt like they were walking into an opportunity that God had given them? I don't know. I like that part of the story. We're going to continue reading. When the words that David spoke were heard, they were repeated before Saul. So the word made their way to the king that David was talking this way. And Saul sent for David. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant, I, will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. So not only has David had his brother say, ah, no, you can't do that, and I know you, you've got the wrong intentions, but now he has a man in authority over him, an older person that he no doubt respects, saying, you're too young to do that. Anybody ever told they've been too young to do something? Let me ask you this, have you ever been told, have you ever told somebody that they were too young to do something. I love the fact that we're a church with student pastors and volunteers who are equipping and encouraging our younger generation. And they know for a fact that they don't have to wait till they're adults to be influencers and to be leaders. But I wonder if sometimes we've been discouraged because somebody tells us that we don't have what it takes because we're too young or we're too inexperienced. Or if maybe we've just taken the easy way out and told somebody else that they weren't young enough or experienced rather than show them and work alongside them and equip them and let them lead in the way that God has called them to do that. Let's keep going in the story. I keep coming away. I'm sorry. But David said to Saul, your servant, again, he's talking about himself, used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took the lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine, Goliath, shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And here's the next verse you need to, to underline. It's verse 37. David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. So when Saul said to David, you're too young. Goliath's been training forever. 
you've never been trained. I don't think you can do this. David didn't respond as kind of a petulant little punk, right? He didn't, he didn't appeal in some kind of spiritual preachy way to the um, creative power of God. He didn't go to Saul and say, Saul, haven't you heard the stories about Moses and how he led the Israelites? Don't you remember this is the same God that split the Red Sea? Do you remember how God showed up and helped Joshua lead people into Jericho? Do you not remember what he did for you as the king just years ago when we were fighting these same Philistines? He didn't get preachy. He didn't remind God of anything. What he said was, let me tell you what God has done in my life. And what we see is that David was fueled by a confidence that had been developed over countless experiences of watching God show up in his life. And I wonder oftentimes if when we're having a conversation with somebody, not trying to argue them into the faith or, or convince them that this is right, but I wonder if sometimes we don't feel equipped to share our story or share our faith because we don't think we know enough. Let me tell you what you do know. You do know what God's done in your life. And nobody can ever argue with that. So share that. Just do that. That's what David did. And obviously it was convincing because Saul was like, I'm not changing this kid's mind. Go and may God be with you. So we pick up the story and we keep going. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail, right? Saul had a particular idea about how David should go and do what he did. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. So he's trying, right? He's trying to do what his, his, his superior is asking him to do, but it just doesn't work for him. It's not the way God created him. Then David said to Saul, I can't go with these for I've not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Now, what I love about this part of the story is that obviously Saul had a particular idea in mind about how David should do that thing that God was calling him to do. And David respectfully tried on the armor. But when he realized that that wasn't how he was created, that that wasn't the gift and the tool that God had used him to accomplish this thing set out before him, he respectfully said, I can't try these. I've never tested them out. I know what God's used before in my past, and I really feel more comfortable going back with how God has made me, if that's okay. And what I also love about this is that it was David's experience as a shepherd that equipped him and prepared him to fight Goliath and not any training he would have ever received as a soldier. See, that's how God sees things differently. That's how God uses experiences in our life differently than we may see him using them. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation, maybe you're in one right now, where you find yourself in a particular job or a particular relationship or maybe you're just living in Houston and you're asking yourself the question, like, what in the world am I doing here? How can God possibly use this? Where is God taking me? I don't see any greater good. I don't see any way that this is going to turn out okay. I want to live a life of purpose, and I feel like I'm just stuck in the mud. Let me tell you, if you believe that God is always working, and I believe that God is always working, he is never going to waste your time. He's not wasting your time. He's not wasting your time where you're at. You may not know this, but God may be preparing you for some opportunity or some obstacle in your future that the skills you're developing right now that you may have never thought would prepare you are just the thing it's gonna take for you to face that and make your way through it. And that's what I love about David in this particular because he, he didn't try and fit the mold of what a king wanted him to be. He said, no, this is what God has prepared me to do. And I never saw this when I was a shepherd, but now I know that the skills I developed are what God is gonna use for me to go and fight and ultimately defeat 
this giant. We keep reading the story this way. It says, And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David. This is when it's about to come to a head. His shield bearers in front of him, and when the Philistine looked and saw David, I love this, he disdained David, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. Has anybody ever been disdained because they're too young and good-looking? Anybody? Am I the only one that identifies with this part of the story? No? I mean, it was several years ago. But, I mean, I, at one point in time, I'd like to think somebody disdained me because I was young and good-looking. I don't know. But obviously Goliath wasn't, so he disdained him. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Like, where's your sword? You know, the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Oh, I love this. This is trash talk 101, okay? So like, if you got kids, like earmuffs for a second, all right? But it's in the Bible. So, you know, Goliath's like, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna feed your, you know, I'm gonna feed you to this, this, this. And David, because he's young and cocky and doesn't know any better, right? I'd say confident, but let's be real. He's cocky. So he's like, I got God on my side. Oh, you're gonna kill me? Well, you're a lot bigger, which means you make a lot more meals for those birds and those beasts. And here's what I'm gonna do, right? I'm gonna cut off your head, all right? And then I'm gonna give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines. And not just your body, but we're gonna kill a few of you guys, all right? And after we kill all of you, we're gonna give you to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. But not just because it's fun to kill, but we're gonna do this that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly, everybody here may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. It's not me and you. You've picked the fight with the wrong guy. And God's gonna give you into our hand. David steps up into this role of giant slayer because he is convinced that it is part of God's purpose for his life and because he believes that God is with him. That's how he has the confidence to do what he did. We finished the story starting in verse 48. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, this is how excited David was. David didn't like, you know, strut. David ran quickly toward the battle line. Compare that to what Saul did earlier, right? To meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and he took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. And just as God had shown up when David was protecting sheep, God showed up again and helped him defeat a giant. It's an amazing story, but it's more than a simple underdog story. We've got to ask ourselves a couple questions, right? The first question we've got to ask is this. What led David to step up and fight Goliath? Remember, it wasn't the reward. It wasn't the riches or the wife. It wasn't the, the free living for his dad. It was the fact that he was committed to God and God's honor more than he was committed to anything of himself. He was more committed to, to defending the honor of God and representing God in a, in a fair and right way than he was to his own safety or his own security or his own comfort. His faith was bigger than his fear. Just a few weeks ago, Patrick kind of talked about that for several minutes. I encourage you to go back and, and listen to all these sermons. But David's faith outweighed his fear. And if we're going to move in, in ways that other people are going to look and go, are you sure you want to do this? If we're going to, in fact, boldly step into a situation and, and face something that everybody else says, maybe you just sit back and sit this one out. It's going to take us having a faith that is bigger than our fear. So I ask you, what is, what is driving you? What is it that, that, that when you make decisions, what is it that triggers those decisions? What is it that you're relying on? 
What is it that, that flips your switch? I've got a wife who's five foot and lovely and wouldn't harm a fly, but if you talk about one of her kids, you might as well have picked a fight with Goliath, right? That's her trigger. She believes in that. She's committed to her kids. What is it that you believe in? What is it that you're committed to? And is your commitment to God great enough that when presented with an opportunity that seems daunting, you still have enough faith to overcome your fear and step into it, face it, run toward it even? If it's gonna take a faith that's greater than a fear, the next question is this, how did David grow a faith this strong? How did David get a faith that strong? If his faith was greater than his fear, how did I, I think we see this in his response to Saul, right? When Saul says, you're too young, Goliath's been training since whenever, David's response was, let me tell you about what God's already done in my life. I think we, the way we develop a faith that's greater than our fear is by looking back into our life and seeing where God has shown up time and time again. And this is gonna take you coming up with a way of reminding yourself how God has shown up in your past and at other times in your life. I found a real easy way to do this. I wanna share it with you. If you put your, 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 your pictures of your family or things in your life, experience in your life on, on your phone, on your computer, on, on Facebook or something like that, just take a time, just take some time and scroll back through. I recently upgraded my phone, so like all my pictures from the last 12 years are on the cloud, which means I can access them. And Friday night, I was going through and I was looking at these pictures. And it made me so emotional. And it strengthened my faith so much because what I was able to see is, is who I was when I was 30 and my son came into this world. And who I was when I was 33 and I was taking him to therapy because he wasn't quite right. And who I was when God moved us from a place that we really loved to a new place where we knew nobody. And who I was when I was almost 40, crazy, bringing my second child into the world. And how God moved us from San Antonio back to the Houston area to be closer to family and to work in an amazing church like this. And I went back and I said, man, God has done so much in my life. And I wonder if maybe that simple exercise might be something that God could use for you. And the last question you have to ask is, where do I fit into this story? We've talked about this a little bit. But so, so many times we just, we're David, our problems are Goliath, and that's it. But I hope you've seen today that there may be a time when you're Saul. There may be a time when you've been so paralyzed by fear that you haven't been able to move anywhere. You've become desperate. You offer your time, your money, your heart, your allegiance to anything and everything that'll provide you with the kind of stability and security you're looking for. Or maybe you're Eliab, you're the jealous older brother that never took the opportunity for yourself. And so now you're jealous and questioning the motives of somebody else who seemingly has every right and, and, and opportunity to step into that thing. Maybe you're Goliath. Seriously, not a bully, but maybe you're so confident, overconfident in your own abilities that you don't realize how vulnerable you are to certain things that are in your blind spot. And you can recognize that today and go, I don't ever want to be so overconfident that, that a boy with a, a stone and a sling can come and, and, and knock me down. Or maybe you are David. Maybe you are facing something. I don't know. Life is hard. And all of us face different things from time to time. We face, we face problems. We face situations that seem like an army on the other side. We hear these messages and these voices that tell us we're not enough of anything. We're not rich enough, pretty enough, successful enough, famous enough, big enough, whatever it is. Or we hear voices that say you're not good enough. You're, you're unworthy. You don't belong. You should be ashamed of yourself. You're, you're unclean. And in the midst of that world, let me tell you, God loves you so much that this is, the, this is the Jesus story. God knows what you're going through. God knows where you've been. And God sent a champion on your behalf to fight that battle for you. Jesus, Jesus is our David. That's what Jesus is. That's what Jesus did. 
And if you're a follower in Christ, then you know that you can face your giant with God by your side. And if you've never made that decision, I'm telling you, you need to accept the champion that God sent on your behalf to die for your sin, to forgive you for your sin, to remove all the guilt and all the shame and all the anxiety that you might have. And whether you're David facing your giant or whether you're Saul in need of a David, the invitation is the same from the God who loves you and the God that equips you to slay giants. And my prayer today is that you'd find your place in this story, you'd invite God into your life, and you'd walk into, run to the battle line, ready to face whatever it is you're facing, knowing that you have a God that equips to slay giants. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for the opportunity to look at this seemingly uh, popular story, God, everywhere. We've all heard this story before. Yet, God, I, heard, I pray that some, someone somewhere heard something new and fresh today in a way that they can be encouraged, that way they can be challenged. God, I pray that we would have a faith that is encouraged by the ways you've shown up in our past. God, I pray that every single person in this room would know how much you love them and that they would accept the champion, the sacrifice you gave for them in Jesus. I pray these things in his name. Amen.